0: Everyone, this is Deb from Dying to Be Found. Before we get started, I just wanted to say that episodes contain disturbing discussions on harmful acts and crimes against animals and/or humankind. Recordings are not intended for young or sensitive audiences due to the content nature of this podcast. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to episode number 31 of Dying to Be Found. My name is Deb. And I'm Beth. And we are so glad that you're here today. Beth, I'm going to start off today by offering my condolences to you on the passing of Queen Elizabeth. Holy cow, I was put into shock when somebody came into my room and talked to me about that. And my heart goes out to the royal family and the Commonwealth. So I just wanted to let you know that you were on my mind this week.
1: Well, thank you very much. It is a very sad time right now. And uh, I see that the funeral is going to be on the 19th. So I'm working 3 to 11 and we'll be able to watch that.
0: Oh, good. So I'm thinking back to, oh goodness, all of the era of Princess Diane. her wedding, her funeral. And I will say at that point in my life, I was able to see both of those events, but it's opposite. Aren't they about eight hours ahead of us? Five. Five hours. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I was thinking about you this week and wanted to offer my thoughts on that. And I know we've gone off in a couple different directions in the past couple episodes, so I'm trying to put myself in check here and move on with our case for the week. Is there anything you want to say before we get started?
1: No, I don't think so today.
0: Okay, well... I'm excited because Beth is taking the reins today, and I'll tell you, you never fail to bring me interesting stories that I've never heard of before we talk about them, and I know that this episode is not going to be disappointing. The only thing I don't like about this, Beth, is the title, which is The Acid Bath Murders. The reason I don't like it is because my imagination is really getting the best of me just with the title. I'm excited to hear it. And very intrigued on the occurrences, but I want to know, how did you find this story? Well, it intrigued me as a teenager
1: when mom and dad visited England, and they went to Madame Tussaud's Wax Museum in London, England, and when they showed me the pamphlet, it just intrigued me, but I never gave it a thought afterwards until now.
0: Oh, good. Okay. I remember their trip. I think I was pretty young. You were. But I do remember them coming home with those pamphlets. And I'll tell you, I've been very intrigued with wax museums based on what they showed us. And I've been to a few of those myself, which is really, really cool. Have you ever been to a wax museum? No, I would like to. Yeah, you need to. It's very cool. I mean, so realistic.
1: Awesome. Until Mom and Dad brought those pamphlets home, I never heard of wax figures, and what I saw in the pamphlet was so realistic. One of the figures in the pamphlet was John Haig. The little wrap-up sounded horrific, and after I saw the pamphlet, I never gave it a second thought until this past week when I wrote up the following for
0: you. So, really thinking back, that was the inspiration for what we're talking about today? Sure is. Okay, I'm excited. I can't wait. Well, I'm really not excited about hearing about death, but okay, Beth, I can't wait to hear what you've got to tell us today.
1: These are the facts about the acid bath killer, who was later found out to be John George Haig. John was born on July 24, 1909, in Stamford, Lincolnshire, England, to John Robert Haig and Emily Haig. Robert and Emily were members of the Plymouth Brethren and a conservative Protestant sect. What does all that mean? So it means a radical ideology in the religious sector. They don't believe in the mainstream ideas.
0: Okay, that brings to mind a few different religions that I'm aware of, that I've actually researched a little bit. I get it.
1: And for those who know about Jonestown.
0: Okay, I gotcha.
1: Mm -hmm. And we don't know much about his childhood. There wasn't much written. But I'm going to talk about his childhood and what we do know.
0: Okay so during his childhood his parents were very strict. They sure were. Get
1: this. They built a seven foot high fence all around the house so this would not let any children over to play.
0: I mean I wonder why though Beth because even back in what was it 1909? Yes. Yeah people should have known during that era that we are social creatures, Beth, and that's part of building who we are. You've got to let kids socialize with each other because those interactions are what help to develop social skills that are lifelong. You know what I mean? I do. And I believe the same thing.
1: I can't imagine being walled up with a seven foot fence because I think that just changes your personality and who you are.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You're isolated.
1: Yes. So, Deb Hake was also bullied at school, but instead of fighting back, he took out his own frustration on animals. And we know how you feel about animals. Oh gosh, yeah. One time he even chased a pig around in its sty until it died from exhaustion.
0: What? Yeah. Okay, I don't know how big the sty was, but how long did it take for him to chase that poor animal?
1: That's really, really cruel. It is very cruel. I thought that when I was uh, reading it and putting this report together. Huh. Haig said he suffered from recurring religious nightmares in his childhood as well.
0: Okay. So you said that his parents had radical beliefs. So did he give any specifics?
1: Only that he had religious nightmares and he came out, I I didn't write in the report, as he was an older man, he mentioned it too, that He did these vicious deaths by having religious nightmares.
0: So it was connected to his nightmares. Yes. Oh, wow. All right, keep going. Haig was a
1: very talented piano player and he learned that when he was homeschooled, which surprises me that he was homeschooled. So then he even had less of a connection with people.
0: Yeah. I mean, if he's already kept in that seven foot fence, uh, that surprises me too.
1: He was delighted to listen to classical music and often attended concerts. Haig made friends wherever he went. People loved him.
0: That's interesting because, Beth, you just said that he was bullied in school. Oh, wait a minute, though. I wonder if that's why he began getting homeschooled. Because you said he was bullied in school?
1: Yes, that sounds very plausible.
0: Okay, now listen, to This case is already starting to remind me of Charles Albright. Do you remember him? The eyeball killer? yes. Yeah. So we talked about him in episode 12 and Albright was also musically inclined, but he was polite. And like you said, with Haig, he's making friends very easily. So do you think this could be something along the lines of them being charmed? Oh gosh, Beth, this just reminds me of so many people we've talked about already. So it's, it's like a magnetic or charming personality that attracts these people. It
1: is. So that's like being a car salesman. They're smooth talkers, and they're pleasant. People love them. So true. Deb Haig was very intelligent as well. He won a scholarship to the Queen Elizabeth Grammar School in Wakefield, England. Then he attended Wakefield Cathedral, where he became a choir boy. Later, Haig apprenticed as an engineer.
0: Do you know what kind of engineer he was? Or apprenticed? No, it never mentioned. Okay. However,
1: he lasted a year in his apprenticeship and eventually switched paths to pursue insurance and advertising. There you go. There's that smooth operator coming to play.
0: Yep. Because he's working the sales. There you go. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Unfortunately, as a 21-year-old, he was fired for being suspected of stealing from a cash box.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, you know what, though, because I'll tell you, ya- Shelby has a degree in accounting and this is something I actually warned her about Beth is because you hear so many things in the news where you've got crooks in the accounting and finance industry because they get greedy and I told Shelby in no way do I believe she would ever do this because Shelby I raised you right and you're a good girl but you know when you get around a lot of money people just tend to get greedy and if you remember what happened with Enron that's a classic example of people getting greedy when they get around money. So I'm kind of glad that he already got fired at the age of 21 because if he was doing that at 21, what would he be doing later?
1: You're right. That's so true. On July 6, 1934, Haig married Beatrice or Betty Hamer, but it didn't take the marriage long to fall apart. As it was falling apart, Haig was jailed for fraud While in prison, Betty had a baby and gave it up for adoption.
0: I wonder why she would have done that, because she already knew that she was going to get a divorce?
1: Sorry, Deb, I don't know any answers to that. But his conservative family ostracized John from that point forward.
0: Huh. I mean, okay, so sounds to me like he's been criticized his whole life already. Yes.
1: He could have had a lot of anger built up with those anger issues. All right. Well, Deb, in 1936, at the age of 27, Haig moved to London and became a chauffeur to William McSwan, the wealthy owner of an amusement arcade, and he maintained McSwan's amusement machines as well. Huh. From that time forward, Haig pretended to be a solicitor named William Cato Adamson and falsely said he had six offices. Hmm. He also sold fraudulent stock shares reported to be from estates of the deceased families at below market rates. What do
0: you think of that? Okay, so he's going to draw people in with his debonair personality and he's going to make things sound much, much better than they are. Okay, yeah, he's classic, classic salesman
1: and it was like our earlier episode on H.H. Holmes.
0: Yes, I was thinking about him a couple minutes ago when I said that this was starting to sound like several of the episodes that we've already done. If you guys have not gone to listen to our H.H. Holmes episode, uh, wow, you just you'll start seeing patterns, but you got to go listen to that one.
1: Well, when you think about it, Ted Bundy was the same way too, a charmer. So they must have that, all that same personality.
0: Narcissism.
1: Oh. Do you think? Yes, I think you're right.
0: Yeah. Another thing too, Beth, since you're bringing that up, what I find so interesting is that these guys are really intelligent. And to me, it's such a shame that they're using it in such dark and devious ways. But What would life have been like if they actually used their intelligence in a positive light? You know what I mean?
1: Yes, I do. That would be awesome. The world would be a great place.
0: Absolutely.
1: Haig's scheme was discovered by someone who noticed a very simple error on Haig's part. You'll never believe this. He had misspelled
0: the city of Guilford on the letterhead. Oh, gosh wow that's so minute how co- okay he was that intelligent and he he overlooked something so simple
1: yeah what it w- doesn't sound like him does it
0: no wow
1: okay One little mistake
0: and zap yeah so he got discovered with all that fraud
1: okay and for his crime he served four years in prison for fraud Haig was released just at the start of the second world war and continued to commit fraud, was again found out and spent
0: several more
1: terms of imprisonment.
0: What a waste. I just find it so hard to believe that they get put into prison once, even twice, three times, and yet no matter how many times they spend time behind bars, they come out and do exactly the same thing. They do. And Deb,
1: he regretted that victims he targeted lived to accuse him and soon became intrigued by French murderer George-Alexander Seurat, who disposed of bodies using sulfuric acid. Haig was so intrigued that he experimented with mice and soon discovered sulfuric acid dissolved the bodies of the mice.
0: Holy cow. What did he do? Did he just start researching? Kind of like how you have a criminal that when the FBI comes to get their computer, if they saw what was on my computer right now, so you're telling me he started researching how to murder people and used the, what was it was at Syrah as a role model? Bingo! Wow.
1: And in 1943, by the time Hague was 34, he was released from prison and became an accountant with, get this, an engineering firm.
0: Okay, so he's kind of going with what he knows, accounting and engineering.
1: That's true. Shortly after, he ran into his former employer, William McSwan, in the pub. McSwan introduced his parents Donald and Amy. McSwan worked for his parents collecting rents on the London properties, and
0: Haig was very impressed by their lifestyle. Sure, because they probably had a little bit of money.
1: Mm hmm. On September 6, 1944, McSwan disappeared. Oh no. Haig later admitted that he lured McSwan to the basement hit him over the head with a lead pipe, and then put his body into a 40 imperial gallon or 180 liters or 48 U.S. gallons. He put him in a drum with concentrated sulfuric acid. Holy moly. Within two days, McSwan's body was almost completely dissolved and Haig disposed of his remains
0: into a manhole. That's really random. Did Haig give any reason why he murdered McSwan? No, he didn't give any reason, at least from what I've read.
1: We both can figure it out through the money. Oh, yeah. You'll find a little bit more coming up. So Haig told McSwan's parents that their son had gone into hiding in Scotland to avoid being called up for military service since this happened during World War II. Haig then took over McSwan's house and collected rents on McSwan's parents' properties.
0: So he used his charm to wedge his way into William McSwan's life, earning his parents' trust, and they happily assigned him William's duties after he disappeared? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Convenient, isn't it? Yeah. For almost a year, Haig was successfully entrenched in stepping into McSwan's life. However, curious as to why their son had not returned, they went to confront Haig on his whereabouts as World War II was nearing its end.
0: Okay, because he had probably, through that year, mentioned that he knew his whereabouts? Yes. Okay, I got you. So,
1: Deb, in June 1945, Haig lured them to his now-owned house by telling the McSwans their son was coming back from the war there haig killed them with blows to the head and disposed of the bodies haig then stole mcswan's pension checks sold his parents properties and moved into the onslow court hotel in kensington
0: okay can i stop you for a second yeah number one Did he use acid on them like he did with William? Yes, he did,
1: because later on in this story, you're going to find that he didn't fully let
0: acid kill 100% of the bodies. Okay, I gotcha. And then, how was he able to just take over the McSwan's belongings in order to sell off their property? Was he forging everything like he had done in the past?
1: That's my guess, but... I'm thinking, too, that they were not as strict.
0: Oh, so true. Yeah, back
1: in 1947, they didn't have all the regulations and restrictions.
0: Yeah, you're right. That makes sense. By
1: 1947, Haig was running low money, and to solve his difficulties, he found another couple to rob and kill Deb, Archibald Henderson and his wife Rose. Oh. After pretending he wanted to buy a house they were selling, he was invited to the Henderson's home. They wanted to hire him to play the piano for their housewarming party.
0: Oh, okay. So he was still playing piano in his 30s as a favorite pastime.
1: Yes, yes he was. While at the Henderson's flat, he stole Archibald's revolver, planning to use it for a later crime. Renting a small workshop in Crowley, Sussex, he moved acid and drums there from his home. On February 12, 1948, he lured Archibald Henderson to his workshop on the pretext of showing him an invention. Upon his arrival, he was immediately shot in the head with his own stolen revolver. Then Haig lured Rose Henderson to the workshop, stating Archibald fell ill, and she was shot too. Oh,
0: honestly, Beth, it's almost like they always have to take out the stronger person first, because the, the weaker person is not going to be able to defend themselves.
1: Yes, and this is just so tragic. Uh huh. After he placed the bodies in the sulfuric acid-filled drums... Haig forged a letter with their signatures, there we go, Yep. and sold all of their possessions except for the car and dog, which he kept.
0: Wait, so he kept their dog because he has this immediate sense for a love of animals, although he chased a pig earlier in life until it died? Or is this considered one of his trophies?
1: Ah, I like that. I think you're right on that. Because he does tend to keep things from others, which I don't want to give away. But yes, I think you're
0: right there, Deb. Okay, interesting. So he was keeping the dog as a trophy. Yes. Okay.
1: Now next, Deb, a last victim was Olive Duran Deacon, a 69-year-old wealthy widow of a solicitor named John Durand Deacon. I love that name, Olive. It is cute. We have a restaurant here called Olive's. Ah, what do they serve? It is so nice. They have the best salads. Cool. By then, Haig was telling people he was an engineer. Olive happened to mention to Haig that she had an idea for him. And get this, Deb. It was artificial nails.
0: Wow. Wait,
1: what year was this? It was in the late 1940s. Believe it or not, artificial nails were patented a little later, like in the early 1950s
0: interesting i did not realize that they were around for that long i do remember one time when i was in high school and my psychology teacher of all people oh boy was she ever a a character honestly beth she fell asleep quite a lot on her desk she'd put her head down and we'd be all looking at each other and saying hey what are we supposed to be doing right now (laughs) i bring this up because i remember one time she sat up And she said something about her nails. She's like, these are my real nails. And then she tapped the table with them to show us how hard they were. So she was wearing fake nails back in the 80s. Yeah, that would be early. That's for sure. Yeah. On
1: February 18th, 1949, Haig invited Olive to his new workshop. And once inside, he shot her in the back of the neck with the same revolver that he stored back in 1947.
0: Beth. Okay, hold on. Let me see if I can wrap my head around this for a second. He invites Olive over because she has this new idea for artificial nails. And he is going to shoot her in the neck with a revolver. That makes utterly no sense because he could have had a partnership with her. On this new product that could come out on the market. Why would he do that?
1: Because he's an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) So Deb, after stripping her all her valuables, including a Persian lamb coat, Hake stuffed Olive's body into a drum of sulfuric acid. Two days later, Olive's friend reported her missing.
0: I'm assuming... Back at that era, Olive had told her friends that she was going somewhere, maybe even mentioned his name when she disappeared. Yes. Probably, if she was going to talk to him about patenting artificial nails. Okay, crooks are stupid, man. Just saying.
1: They are. That's what ends up giving them up. And it didn't take long for the detectives to follow a trail to Hague, and they soon discovered Haig's record of theft, fraud, and obtained a search warrant to search his property. Unlike his last workshop, Haig's new workshop did not contain a floor drain, and he got rid of the remains by pouring out the container into a rubble pile in the back of his property. In their search, the police found a receipt for the dry cleaning of the Persian lamb coat. How stupid was that?
0: Yeah, they always leave receipts around. Yeah. But, okay, I'm sorry, I was thinking, wait a minute. Oh, you go ahead. No, I was thinking, did they make receipts back then? But no, we're talking about 1947. So, of course, in 1947, they're going to have receipts.
1: Yep, hand receipts that don't disappear like today, where a year later, our receipts are invisible. Did you know that? No, what do you mean? If you hold on to a receipt...
0: Oh, on the paper that it prints on.
1: Yes, it disappears.
0: Yes, it's a thermal paper, Beth okay good to know i was just going through my purse yesterday to clean it out and i have receipts from a month ago that are already disappearing
1: that's crazy in their search the police found a receipt of dry cleaning of a persian lamb coat which belonged to olive and papers referring to the hendersons and mcswan's further investigation of the area by the pathologist led to finding 20 pounds of human body fat and part of a human head and part of a human foot, human gallstones, and part of a denture, which was later identified by Olive's dentist. So Haig was then arrested.
0: Okay, because you had mentioned earlier that because of that drain, he was not able to put everything down the drain. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: I know. At his trial, Haig mistakenly believed that if the bodies of his victims could not be found, a murder conviction would not be possible.
0: I guess he wasn't thinking about circumstantial evidence.
1: Not at all, Deb. At his trial, Haig confessed that he had killed the McSwans, the Hendersons, and Olive of Duran Deacon, as well as three other people, so nine in total. The claims of the three other people could not be confirmed. So he went to trial with just the five
0: murders. Wait a minute. He killed William McSwan, right? Yes. Okay. So William and his two parents, right? That's three. And then Olive is four. And then two Hendersons. That would be six. It sure would. I counted wrong. (laughs) Okay. Hey, I'm not good with math either. I get it. Okay. I didn't mean to correct you. No, that's okay. Please do. So Hay pleaded insanity, claiming
1: that he drank the blood of his victims.
0: What? Where did that come from? Just out of the blue. He just... Okay, whatever. Oh, wait. He's saying that he's insane, so I get it. Okay, that makes sense.
1: I agree. He just needed an excuse, but people think he's more nutty. Yep. The lead for prosecution urged the jury to reject Haig's defense of insanity
0: because he acted with intention. Absolutely. He was taking people's money. He was. And ideas of invention, although, of course, that didn't go anywhere. But still, yeah, he was definitely working with intentions. And I think
1: the jury agrees with you, Deb, because it just took minutes for them to decide that Haig was guilty and he was sentenced to death.
0: Wow.
1: And they were still hanging back then because Haig was hanged on August 10th, 1949.
0: Wow. Well, this was in England too, so different laws, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. One of the intriguing things I found about this story is that the day before Haig was going to be hanged, he welcomed Madame Tussauds into his cell for three hours. Can you believe that?
0: Wow. Wow. How interesting that... This is the same person who had that wax museum, you know, that mom and dad brought the pamphlets home on. Yes, exactly. Hmm.
1: And she was there for three hours so she could make a life mask for a wax model so she could put it into her museum.
0: She's bold. Would you want to sit in a a jail cell with somebody knowing what they did and put some wax on his face? No. Is that how they do that? Like a mold? probably back then I don't know what the
1: heck they do now
0: oh my god
1: I know it's just again so creepy and believe it or not the model went up in the museum the day after his death
0: wow that didn't take her long at all that was what just three days yes it was wow I guess if it's wax it's easily moldable it sure is I mean, I burn candles around the house and I always take my thumb and I push the melted wax down so that it's one level as it's burning. You know. Yeah. I know how quickly it'll harden to my fingers if any of it sticks.
1: Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So in summary, Haig had played the role of a criminal very well.
0: I will tell you this. He didn't do it that well because he got caught and he got hung. Yes.
1: So much so that Haig's waxwork exhibit in the Chamber of Horrors was displayed at Madame Tussauds in London. On a 1951 radio series drama, Haig's story was told on an episode called The Jar of Acid. In the mid-1960s, unproduced Hitchcock project entitled Kaleidoscope had been inspired by the story of these events.
0: Did they never film Kaleidoscope? Because I feel like I've heard of that before.
1: And the weird thing is, I did too when I read this. So I suppose once he died, they probably let it go. Yeah. Be more
0: sensational, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. Always after they go. And you're going to
1: love this, Deb. Criminal Minds episode called Masterpiece. It was inspired by
0: Haig. Wow. I love I think that's one of the reasons why I like true crime is because I think I must have watched every episode of Criminal Minds from start to finish over the years.
1: Yes. It was a good show. Hmm. And I don't know if I told you that it's back on air, but only on a certain channel. And some of the old characters are in it. I'm not sure who.
0: Is that blonde techie girl still on there? I love her. That I can tell you she's she is.
1: Okay, cool. And to add another, the release of the British film noir, Obsession, it was delayed because it bared too much resemblance to Haig's chain of events.
0: Was that also modeled after Haig and his crimes? I don't know if it was before or after. Hmm
1: and stage plays were made, music was recording, and it mentioned it in the words of the music, and here we are today still telling the story of Haig on a podcast. So this story lingers.
0: It does, and interesting again, Beth, I have never heard of this case, and wow, this is really, really popular. I I just kind of wonder, why have I never heard of this before you came along with it? I don't know. I wonder though, is it, is it maybe our age difference? If I was in elementary school and you were already, what, going into high school? Definitely different things that we were learning at this stage of our life. Exactly. So
1: you were too young to read that pamphlet.
0: I remember the pamphlet though. I, oh, you know what? I probably just looked at the pictures.
1: You probably did. So at this time, Deb, do you have a
0: teachable moment? We're done already? I guess we are okay. Um, no, really though. I guess my question to you, Beth, is, do you have a teachable moment?
1: No, I don't.
0: Okay, good because I have a teachable moment based on this story today. Listen, going back to episode twenty-eight with the bog bodies, remember how we talked about take the time to go out and visit these museums if you can? Mm -hmm. Well, you just mentioned that you've never been to a wax museum, Beth. And sometimes there are pop up museums that pass through town. Also, have you heard of Ripley's Believe It or Not and their wax museums? Yes, and I think there's
1: one in Niagara
0: Falls. You need to go early. I've been to a couple towns. I've been to St. Augustine, Florida, and Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Those towns have a Ripley's Believe It or Not wax museum there, and I did take Shelby and Corey to a wax museum one time, because like you said, when mom and dad brought home those pamphlets, I was intrigued by them. You were intrigued, and I'm telling you, if you make your way to Ripley's in Niagara Falls, you will not be disappointed. <laughs> They have figures that range from celebrities, Royalty Bath, the, the royal family from England, and of course more macabre or sinister figures as well cool my teachable moment to you beth is if you ever visit a town that has a wax museum go check it out because you're already intrigued with how realistic the figures looked in a picture go learn some history and and go see the real thing i think you should take a special trip for that i think i will yeah good so with that said that's a wrap that is a wrap, and we want to thank our listeners for listening to our episode of Dying to Be Found, and before we go, we would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. That really does help us in the rankings, and if you've not checked out Good Pods yet, be sure to follow us there. This is a new platform that supports indie podcasts like us. Be sure to check that out. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest at Dying to Be be found, plus access our website, email, social media, and storyline request form by clicking on our Linktree account found in our show notes. Good gosh, Dennis is barking. Hold on. Consider buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash dyingtobefound, spelled just like you see it in our logo, and feel free to reach out to us on Instagram to let us know how we're doing, or just to say hi because Beth, if you're like me, I'd love to hear from our listeners. For sure. Yeah. So with that being said, be sure to check us out every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts, and we will talk to you all next Thursday. Bye.